This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. A long overdue biography of Grover Cleveland, the honest principled and plain spoken president whose country has largely overlooked him. Featuring a wealth of in depth research and newly uncovered details, A Man of Iron explores the remarkable life and extraordinary career of Grover Cleveland, one of America's most unusual presidents and the only one to serve two non consecutive terms. Trisenic is an author and former White House speechwriter whose writing has appeared in outlets such as The Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, City Journal, and more. A former think tank executive, he is the co-founder of Kite & Key, a digital media company focused on public policy. Happy to have Troy Senek join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Troy, welcome to this program. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. So why Grover Cleveland as a subject for you? Well, you know what I thought was interesting? Grover Cleveland is one of only 14 presidents, so that's less than a third that we've ever had, who have had a full eight years in office. And if we were to go through that list, almost all the other ones are household names. So I thought it was a weird omission in the way we understand our own history. And then going beyond that, his life uh, in particular, beyond those factors, there's just uh, a, a number of unusual traits about Grover Cleveland. This is a president who is unlike almost any other that we've had, starting with the fact that he goes in the course of about three years from 1881 to 1884 from being a totally obscure lawyer in Buffalo to being the president of the United States. And he does this almost entirely on the basis of his reputation for honesty and integrity. Again, things we don't always associate with American politics. So that's what I thought made him so compelling. We're chatting with uh, Troy Senek. The book is A Man of Iron, The Turbulent Life and Improbable Presidency of Grover Cleveland. So what did he believe in, Troy? It's interesting, especially from our modern perspective. Grover Cleveland was a Democrat, and yet if you read about his life through the lens of 2022-2023, he sounds a little more like a Republican, which is to say he's somebody who believes in limited government, in strict adherence to the Constitution. He's a big fiscal conservative, never wants to spend a cent more of taxpayers' money than he has to. And that's one of the things that is interesting about this era in American history is Grover Cleveland is sort of the last Democrat to be president to come out of this sort of Jeffersonian limited government tradition. The next Democrat who's president after him is Woodrow Wilson, by which point the Democratic Party has moved in a more progressive direction. So the story of Grover Cleveland is in many ways the story of American politics at a crossroad, at a time when the beliefs of the two major parties started to enter into a kind of flux that wouldn't really resolve itself until the early 20th century. Was he the most successful Democratic politician of his era? He was, partially because there wasn't a kind of competition. <laughs> what I mean by that is Grover Cleveland first gets elected president in 1884, so we're about 20 years removed from the end of the Civil War. And in the aftermath of the Civil War, because the Democratic Party was so associated with the South and so associated with the Confederacy, the Democratic Party was in bad odor nationally. So Grover Cleveland is the only Democrat elected president between James Buchanan in 1856, right before the Civil War, and Woodrow Wilson, who I mentioned earlier, in 1912. So this is the only Democrat elected president in a period that is as long as the period between the presidencies of John F. Kennedy and Donald Trump. He is unusual in that era just by dint of being a Democrat 
who actually reached the White House. What was his relationship like with Congress? It was a pretty hostile relationship and a different one that we would expect from a president today, even though you do have presidents, of course, fighting with Congresses when they're controlled by the opposition party. The reason that it was different, Grover Cleveland had a, a much narrower, a much more modest conception of the presidency than modern presidents tend to. Um, he was not an activist. He was not somebody who thought that he should be a visionary sort of steering the country in a certain direction. He took the word preside in presidency quite seriously. He thought his job was to sort of oversee the functioning of the federal government, but to do so on behalf of the people. He really wasn't as much of a party leader as most modern presidents are, and so his relationship with Congress was much more adversarial. It was about keeping Congress in line. And the best example that we have of this is Grover Cleveland sort of occasioned a revolution in how presidents used the veto. It had been used pretty sparingly up until his uh, time in office. And in his first term, he vetoes 414 bills, which is more than all 21 of his predecessors combined. So the short answer to your question is he was saying no to Congress a lot. We're chatting with Troy Senek here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is A Man of Iron, The Turbulent Life and Improbable Presidency of Grover Cleveland. A lot of characters uh, in this story about uh, Grover Cleveland. Any uh, favorites of yours? Well, a favorite of mine and a favorite of the American people's at the time was Grover Cleveland's wife, Frances. Grover Cleveland gets married actually in the White House um, a couple of years into his first term. His wife is much younger than he is. She's in her early 20s, and he's in his late 40s. And what's remarkable about Frances Cleveland, she is really Jackie Kennedy before Jackie Kennedy, by which I mean she's young, she's elegant, she's beautiful, and the country has entirely fallen for her. The The American people had a sort of um, begrudging respect, one might say, for Grover Cleveland. They appreciated the integrity with which he did the job. But he wasn't a celebrity by any means. He wasn't a warm figure. He wasn't somebody that the public was enraptured with. He's sort of the opposite of a John F. Kennedy. But Mrs. Cleveland uh, was so beloved when she was serving as First Lady that little choices she made about what kind of clothing she wore would change the fashion for women across the country. Everybody loved her. And we have accounts of Grover Cleveland traveling across the country and local newspaper reporters writing things like, there are a thousand men in this country who are just as suited to be president as Grover Cleveland, but there is nobody who is as suited to be first lady as his wife. I mentioned in the introduction, Troy, that uh, it was a wealth of in-depth research you did and some newly uncovered details, too. What were some of those newly uncovered details? Well, there have been a series of scandals around Grover Cleveland, which have really got more attention in the last decade than they had in the century prior to that. And uh, in both cases, scandals about his love life. One, allegations that he had fathered a child out of wedlock. This was an allegation that was uh, brought against him when he first ran for president in 1884. And the other allegations that uh, his marriage had been the result of him sort of grooming his wife from a young age. They were uh, in close contact with each other for a long time because she was actually the daughter of his by then deceased law partner. And without getting too deep into the details, what this book shows is that the allegations about his relationship with his wife are pretty uh, pretty clearly untrue. 
and the allegations about the child out of wedlock have some truth to them, but that the more outrageous stories around it uh, have been totally fabricated. You wrote that uh, Grover Cleveland didn't have the ambition of a president. So how successful was he, Troy? Uh, he was more successful in his first term than in his second term, because in his first term, he really got to focus on the kinds of things that he cared about the most, which was sort of restraining Congress's impulse to spend lots of money, trying to reform the civil service so America had good, capable public servants in those roles, uh, rather than people who were just politically connected. His second term is really rocked by uh, a series of significant problems, the biggest of which is the biggest economic crisis that the country has faced up in that point. We know it now as the Panic of 1893, but at the time, they referred to it as the Great Depression. It was the biggest economic downturn that the country had ever been up against. And the other thing that really hurts Cleveland is in his second term, I mentioned earlier, this is this period where the Democratic Party is starting to transition into something different, something a little bit more populist, a little more progressive. And in his second term, he is really fighting a, a rearguard effort against his own party the entire time. So he actually leaves office uh, held in, in pretty low regard by the public. They've had enough of him. A lot of his own party has had enough of him. And it's only in his retirement, uh, five, ten years later, that you start to see sort of public appreciation of Grover Cleveland starting to build back up. But he really leaves office under a cloud and feeling pretty unloved. And you mentioned this earlier, too. It was just a rapid succession. He was, what, in, in four years, the mayor of Buffalo, governor of New York, and then the 22nd president of the United States. Yeah, this all happens. Uh, it starts in 1881, at which point he would be about 44 years old. By the time he's 47, he's president. And he is very conscious of this, which is sort of interesting because Grover Cleveland's not a deeply introspective person. We don't have voluminous diary entries where he's telling us exactly what he thinks about everything. But we do have a record of him saying when he was sworn in as president in 1885, the thing he couldn't stop thinking about was that four years prior, when James Garfield, the last president to be elected, would have been sworn in, Garfield would have had no idea who he was. And here he is, four years later, taking the oath of office to become the 22nd president of the United States. You said he wasn't a journal writer. Was he a letter writer? He was a letter writer. Um, that is where a lot of the research in the book comes from is as he gets older, there's lots and lots of correspondence going back with members of his cabinet and with friends. And that's the one place where we get a real insight into him. It's a little bit harder when we get into his early life. You know, these days we know so much about our presidents. They write their own book. There's no shortage of people writing about them. But when you go beyond sort of the early 1900s, especially when you get back in the 19th century, a lot of our presidents, especially if they come from modest backgrounds, which Grover Cleveland did, we don't really know much about their lives in the first few decades. So I write about that time in his life in my book, and uh, what I present there is about as much as we have, but it's not much, particularly compared to the kinds of people who become president today. And finally, Troy, what would you like readers to take away from A Man of Iron? You know, one of the reasons that I wrote the book is I think we're in a moment now where People are pretty skeptical, if not cynical, about American politics. And Grover Cleveland's moment was not dissimilar. Now, one of the reasons that he was so successful was because he was seen as an antidote to sort of rampant uh, corruption and sort of pure partisanship of the era. And I wanted people to understand that part of the genius of the American system 
is that it does yield up people like that in moments like this. You know, you will get a politician who comes through the side door, somebody that you never saw coming. And it's one of the real virtues of our system that if you give it enough time, you will oftentimes find somebody who represents the antidote to whatever the real malady of the moment seems to be. The book is A Man of Iron, The Turbulent Life and Improbable Presidency of Grover Cleveland. The author is Troy Sinek. Troy, thank you so much for joining me. It's a delight. Thank you very much. And this is Speaking of Writers.